Hi, church. Yeah, it's good to see you. Good to be back. Um, if you uh, will grab the notes coming into all of our services, they always pass out the notes, and in just a moment, we'll jump into them. A couple of quick housekeeping things. We do start a new series this weekend. Great weekend for you to be here. I'll talk about that in just a second. Last weekend, um, coming back from Israel, uh, Ben Binger, Pastor Ben, taught last weekend. And all the way in Israel, um, I started hearing the news of how good Ben did. And I'd like to thank him for his ministry. He just did an outstanding job. He killed it in a good way. So uh, just want to thank him. It is a great weekend to be here. I uh, want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, all four of them that are uh, online right now, uh, the people that are live streaming us, the folks that may be listening in the next couple of weeks. Great weekend uh, for three types of people. If you're a believer, uh, to come and hear Psalms 23, uh, this is going to be very encouraging to you. It talks about the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the things that God's doing in our lives. So if you're a believer, you know, what, what better scripture could you hear than Psalms 23? If you're a seeker, if you are sincerely here seeking, Psalms 23 is going to give you a very square understanding of, uh, of how we perceive God and of how God reveals himself to us. And then if you're here as a skeptic, let's say that you came to visit someone this week and they just actually said to you, hey, we're not going to feed you unless you come to church with us. And so you're here uh, this weekend and uh, you're here as a skeptic. It still would be a great weekend for you to be here. And here's why. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a believer to appreciate the words of wisdom and comfort that you find in Psalms 23. Can you agree with that right there? I mean, regardless of where you're at in life, it's just one of those things that speaks to uh, whoever you are at whatever age you are. And it is, uh, it, it is an awesome psalm. So we're going to take the next several weeks, break down Psalms 23. I think you'll enjoy and get a lot from it. Uh, today, I'm going to deal with just verse 1. And in your notes, Psalms 23.1 just simply reads this way. I pulled it from the NIV. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Most of us are used to, I shall not want. We just quote it that way. That's the King James. But out of the NIV, it just uses modern vernacular, and it literally translated reads this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. What a verse, man. What, what, a, what a powerful verse. So I put in your notes right here uh, the background. Let me just give you a quick understanding. It is important uh, for you to know who wrote it, why he wrote it, where he was when he wrote it. So uh, everybody agrees, scholar-wise, that it was King David who wrote it wrote it about 3,000 years ago, and it's just one of those chapters in scriptures that rather it was uh, uh, written 3,000 years ago, three years ago, three minutes ago. I mean, it just speaks. This is what makes the Bible different than every other book. It is alive, and it goes through the ages, and it can speak to a person in space and time, regardless of place and time. It's just one of those things. Psalms 23 is that. Now, uh, David's background, when he wrote it, and this becomes important because as I get into the message, you'll understand a little bit more. Uh, it, it, there's a division, biblically, on where he was when he wrote this. Now, most people think that he wrote it at one of the, um, the most um, difficult times in his life. And, and to, to put a very long story quickly together, David had a pretty much unblemished record until he was well into his kingship. And at a point when his ego got the best of him and he wasn't in a good place with God, the Bible says at the time when kings go out to war, David remained behind in Jerusalem. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And these are the things that happened to him. He ended up uh, seeing a woman that he very much lusted after. He sent for her because he was the king. He slept with her. There was little resistance. She got pregnant. She appeals to him with the pregnancy 
Turns out that she's married to one of his generals in the army. He tries to bring the general home to cover up the pregnancy. The general is an honorable person, and because his men can't come home, he won't sleep with her. So then David conspires to put him in the heat of battle, actually gets him killed, so now he's committed murder. David thinks he's gotten away with it. He takes Bathsheba into his own harem, for lack of a better word, and he thinks he's gotten away with it, and a little obscure prophet named Nathan comes and, and brings him a prophecy and uh, just, just pierces David to his heart, but this is the result of David's sin. Uh, God tells David through the prophet Nathan that you would have sat on the throne and you would have had peace until after you were dead. But because of what you've done, someone in your household now is going to come and try to take the throne from you and it's going to cause you more pain than you could possibly imagine. David had a son named Absalom. And Absalom positioned himself with the people to act like he knew more than his father. He could do more for the people than his father. And he tried to steal his father's throne. And at one point in David's life, he actually had to leave the throne, flee Jerusalem. He took, um, he had actually several hundred people with him, but they flew into the desert to hide out. And if you can imagine his own son, here, here's, here's David's life in a matter of weeks. He commits adultery. He commits murder. While he's in the desert, 20,000 men are out seeking him and they die while trying to seek David, 20,000 people. So now 20,000 people have died. His own son tries to steal the throne from him. His own son ends up dying. And so many scholars think that it was at this point that David actually repents before God and he writes Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a powerful psalm if you could see it being written from the most difficult point in a person's life. But what would that say to us? It would say this, that some of your finest work can come out of your most difficult days. Some of your deepest insight can come from the hardest place in life. Can you agree with that? All right, but then there's also this thought that David, the Bible says he was a man of war, and at the time David became king, uh, the nation of Israel was divided into Israel and Judah, and David became king in Judah. But God was faithful and prophetically had told David, you're going to unite the kingdom. I'm going to expand the kingdom. I'm going to do great things to you. And David ended up with the whole kingdom to himself. He defeats all of the enemies. He is, he is so wealthy. He's got more than he ever thought he would have. And so some people think it's at that point, at the top of his life, that he pins Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or I don't lack anything. So which one's right? Well, both could be. And I don't know for sure, but I'm going to give you what I think as I teach through this, and I'll let you pick out which one you think may be, may be the one. So let me just do this. As I was putting together the message, I had three initial thoughts about Psalms 23 that kind of stuck with me. Uh, first of all, look at this right here. I, I think this is interesting. Um, it's this idea that normally it's identified with tragedy, isn't it? Yes. Like at a funeral, they always use Psalms 23. And I don't know if you remember, but after 9-11, on national TV, they had a minister read at the crash site, Psalms 23, to all the crowds that had gathered. Or in the movies. You ever seen a prisoner walking the last mile? What's the priest doing? Reading Psalms 23 as the prisoner goes. So it's always connected to some type of a negative tragedy. And that's unfortunate because this is more than just a negative tragedy psalm. It could really be words for life. 
So my second impression about this when I was studying was this, is that it comes right after Psalms 22. Now, you may be sitting here going, oh, big deal, uh, of course. And Psalms 22 comes right after Psalms 21, which comes right after Psalms 20. What a brilliant guy you are. Ah, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Psalms 22 begins as a prophecy. If you ever want to read a thousand years before Jesus ever walked the earth, there are many places in the Bible prophetically that talk about Christ. Psalms 22 begins with these words, my God, my God, what's the rest of it? Where do we pick that up from? Jesus is on the cross when he says it, right? David pins it in Psalms 22. And he goes through an entire thing that Jesus will be saying and feeling what he'll look like, what he'll do. It's amazing prophecy. But here, here's what I think. If it could be connected to that at the lowest point that maybe David wrote Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he was in the desert? Maybe Psalms 23 is actually after the bad experience. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just a possibility. I don't know, but I'll just throw that out that maybe it comes after the most difficult time in life, but we'll leave that open for just a second. And then last but not least, I would just say this, of all the Psalms, Psalms 23 is my favorite Psalms personally. I love Psalms 23. I just think it's a powerful, powerful Psalm. I think that it's gonna be a great series for you to get connected over, to study over, to, to learn over. Uh, just real quickly, under the transition point, I lack nothing is the name of the message. Now, let me say this. Part of the series is going to cover finances. Part of our life is dealing with finances. And part of this scripture, I'll teach in just a moment, could be looked at as an issue of the Lord taking care of us in physical ways, which I think it could apply to. So part of what we're doing, we're into discipleship, not just to gather together and guy in our church, Dave Hill, uh, Dave is one of these guys that's done really well financially, retired early, uh, just been a huge supporter of our church, and Dave's actually taught classes from time to time at JFC concerning finances, and uh, in conjunction with Dave, we thought, okay, if we're going to teach on finances, what if we offered a class for folks who'd like to learn biblical principles of financial management, how to apply it successfully in life? So Dave's going to be offering a class. Uh, it starts October the 2nd, 7 o'clock. It's going to be at our Highlands Ranch campus. But if you're at any of our campuses this weekend and you'd like to be a part of that class, go to the foyer and you can sign up for it or get more information for it. And uh, again, that'll be beginning. Dave's an author, written a lot on finances, just one of, the, one of the sharpest guys I've ever met. But in this, I'm going to talk about this weekend, I lack nothing, and I wrote... Uh, how can those words even be possible? So have you ever lived at a time in your life where you lacked nothing? I mean, honestly, be honest with that. Nothing in any area? I don't know that I could say that, but maybe that's because we're looking at this Psalms in a wrong way. All right, so let me give you four takes or four fill-in-the-blanks with this Psalms. And I'm going to let you sort of decide how you view this psalm and, and how you pick it up. But I'm going to tell you when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I'm going to tell you where I think he gets that from. The first one, though, fill in the blank here. I just put in your notes, you, you could decide this. The Lord is, what would you say? David says, the Lord is my 
shepherd. But what would you say the Lord is? The Lord is what to you? That's good. Savior. Daddy, that's good. I mean, any of them are correct, but let me give you four that I think when you read this, Psalms probably fit in. The first one, someone's going to say, the Lord is money. Because when they see the Psalms to them, they see a bank. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And to them, their life, they view through financial means only. Now, obviously, finances are a huge part of life, and when they get mixed up, it can mess up a lot of our lives. But a lot of people, when they read this, they use the Bible as an excuse to see just money all the time. So a lot of people, when they read that, they're going to see God as God is my source. God is my bank. God is my money. And I just put down in your notes right there, if you view this Psalms that way, then this Psalms will be a blank check to you. (laughs) That if you get enough faith and you repeat this Psalms enough, God is obligated to make sure you don't have any wants financially. And there are people that teach that stuff all the time. Yes or no? So another way to look at it might be this, that maybe you would write, the Lord is confusing to me. When I read the Bible, I don't get it. When I pray, I don't hear anything. And when you teach, it's just like, womp, 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 (laughs) womp. So to you, you would need not a blank check, but spell check. Because you don't understand anything. So the Lord is sort of confusing to you. You don't get that he's a shepherd. You don't get what that means. You don't get the idea that when it says, I don't have a want, you don't understand. How could that be true? How could that be applicable? How could it apply? Or maybe this. Maybe here's the way you read this. Maybe you would say the Lord is absent. I don't believe he exists, and if he does, he certainly seems to be very far away. My situation never changes. My life seems to be messed up, and just because it works for you doesn't seem like it works for me. So you would say it's not a blank check or a spell check, but a reality check that you need, Pastor, because it just doesn't make any sense. Maybe the fourth one, and this is the one that I would camp on today and tell you this is maybe the way that you should try to approach this psalm, would be simply this. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, this is interesting because David was a shepherd long before he was ever a king. That would be the equivalent of me as a pastor saying, the Lord is my pastor. I know somehow God has done something that I recognize in my life very well. And I could say clearly, God is like a pastor to me. He tends my soul. He watches over my life. He cares about my spiritual life as well as my physical life. But remember, David, when he says these words, it's through familiarity that he says these words. He's not quoting an idea that he doesn't understand. The Lord is my shepherd. David was a shepherd. It would be like a father saying, the Lord is my father. A father could say that because if he recognized his own traits and something that God did, he could claim God's like that. David says the Lord is my shepherd too. And I just put this in your notes. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He says the Lord is what? My shepherd. What a difference between those two things. All right, if David wrote this at a time when he's at the lowest point in his life, he's committed adultery, he's gotten a woman pregnant, he's committed murder, he's lost his throne, His own son has betrayed him. He's running in the desert. 
and 20,000 men that he was king over and supposed to watch over have lost their lives out looking for him. If he pins this Psalms at that point in his life, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's what David knows that we don't know. Shepherds do things that other people in life don't do. Shepherds first watch sheep. David was a sheep herder. David knew that a shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He watches over his sheep. He takes care of his sheep. He feeds his sheep. Sheep are some of the most difficult creatures on all of God's earth. They're also some of the dumbest creatures on all of God's earth. They don't have an internal clock in them that tells them when to get up, when to go to sleep. The shepherd leads them into those things. They never look up while they're eating. They could walk off a cliff because they're eating with their head down the whole time. The shepherd has to stop them and protect them. David calls God his shepherd when he's at his lowest point because David recognized all the times he laid his own life down. You remember when David became famous in Israel when he fought Goliath? His claim to fame was, I'm a shepherd and I fought a lion and a bear to protect my sheep. You remember him saying that? He laid his life down to protect his sheep. David is now the dumb sheep that is messed up really bad. And this is why he can claim that in the middle of that, God's merciful, God is faithful, God is forgiving, God is caring, and David is able to claim, God is like to me what I was like to my sheep. I took care of them even when they did dumb things. God didn't reject David. God didn't curse David. God didn't turn David away. God didn't say, you're done, we're done, no more. As soon as David repented, God was willing to forgive And David then pens at the most desperate times in his life, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He didn't see God as a bank. He didn't see God as confusing. He didn't see God as distant. He saw God as right there personal. He writes, the Lord is mine, not a shepherd. I don't see him as just everybody's, but he's mine. He's personally. David was experiencing something with God that was personal, that it was real, that it was fantastic. So I'm writing the message And I'm in Israel, having a great time, by the way, Marcus said it, had a great time. But here's the rest of the story. We get back late Monday night, Chris and I stayed an extra day. Our guides are our friends, and we just hung out at their house and spent the night. We got on a plane the next day, got back late Monday night, and then got up early Tuesday and got on a plane to go to Indianapolis. Our son goes to Butler. Some of you that have been around long enough to know he plays football there. He's in his senior year, and he tore his ACL before the season started. And he's worked so hard for three years. He practiced. He had to do what everybody else on the team did, but didn't get to play. Once or twice here or there, but this year he finally earned the starting spot and he tears his ACL, and he calls, and he says, I've got to have surgery, and of course, we're going to Israel. Son, we've got to work this out. Okay, you've got to be here Tuesday. Well, we get back late Monday. We're there Tuesday. And he has surgery on Wednesday, and we just were with him. And I asked him permission to tell this story. I said, let me tell the story. Is it okay? They're old enough now where I have to ask permission. (laughs) 
He said, you can tell the story if you don't cry. I said, all right, I won't cry. <laughs> My kids know me. So we're with him. And I'm studying on this series and I'm trying to meditate on the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. And I'm trying to piece that together because we're hurting. He's hurting and we're hurting. And he's saying the right things. I'm, it's okay. And we're like, it's going to be okay. But you know, Chris and I were by ourselves. We're weeping. We're hurt for him. We're just hurt for him. And I don't know, sometimes you just, here's what I've learned. It's much harder to parent adult children than it is little children. So little children, you can fix their problems with a little bit of time and a little bit of money. But adult children, you just have to go through it. You just stand there sometimes without a lot of answers. Stephen says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Here's what I think he means by that. In the middle of this really tumultuous time, I'm standing at a window just looking out of it, and I'm trying to go, why? And sometimes the why question is not the right question to ask. God doesn't always answer the why question. We, here's what we think. If you just explain why, I could put it together. But even when he does explain why, seldom do we get it. So instead, I'm looking out a window and I'm just going, God, I just, I'm trying to get this. And this is all I hear the Lord say to me. If he's better after this than he is right now, are you okay with it? I, you don't have a lot of choice in that, you know. I like. And so I get a picture. David's a twin. And the other twin, in his senior year in high school, ripped his ACL. And he was done. But through that process, now we've got several years that have gone by in that process, but here's what's happened. He found a call to ministry. He pursued God at YWAM. He's sitting in the back with a beautiful young woman that he's engaged to now. And I watch my son, Daniel, on fire for God. And then I hear the Lord say to me, if he's better after this is over than he is right now, not that I think God did this, I don't think God did this at all. I don't think this was what God wanted. That's that's fallen world. His foot was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But can God use what the devil would love to manipulate for evil? You bet. So I just go, yes, God, that's good. While we're in Indy, my son starts telling me about how the Lord is using this with his teammates right now how his teammates are asking him about his faith and how he's so strong. And his teammates are crying and he's not. 
we were sitting at dinner last night with his teammates, and his teammates were like, man, we were in the training room crying, and David's like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This doesn't mean if God is your shepherd, you don't have any needs. If God is your shepherd, you have all you need. I'm going to say it one more time. This doesn't mean if God is your shepherd, you have no needs. What it means is, if God is your shepherd, you have all you need. You have answers, and you have life, and you have mercy, and you have joy, and you have a tomorrow, and you have a future, and he makes you lie down in green pastures, and he restores your soul, and he causes you to have peace, and he refreshes you, and he brings life to you. And whether we go through it or whether we don't go through it, whether it's hard or whether it's difficult, if you have God, you have everything that you need. And if you don't have God, then I don't know how you get through this life. You gut it out, but you probably have a lot of unanswered questions, if not bitterness, certainly a lot of dysfunction, and probably a lot of, God, how come? And we totally misunderstand this Psalms. It's not, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. David had intimacy by experience. And if you have that, here's what I've learned. If you have an experience with God, no one can take that away from you. If you don't, you have just an argument. And an argument will change as the weather changes. I come to a place where I felt like I get to the end of this message and I would hope that I'd have all three people in here, that I'd have believers, that I'd have seekers, and I'd have skeptics. You know, if you are a skeptic, you thought I was teasing you when I said the only way they got you here was to threaten you with feeding you. But I know maybe you think it was accidental that you got here. We're glad that you're here. We consider it an honor that you would come and listen. And more than anything, it's not a church that we would want you to buy into because maybe you'll never come back here, but maybe you'll hear how good God is. The church messes that up a lot of times, but God is always good. Amen. If we could expose you through a few minutes of seeing the reality of understanding God revealing himself to his people as a shepherd. So maybe you can look beyond all the church stuff and all the religious stuff, and maybe see a God who's real and who really loves you. And maybe if you're just seeking today, maybe this helps just to put you in a place where it's like really solid for you and go, yeah, that's what I want. And if you're a believer, maybe it helps you to draw real comfort if you're in a place in your life where it's just difficult or you've messed up or you're like, man, I just don't understand. Maybe it helps you to piece it together a little bit. I don't know. But I thought when I got here, there would be two things that would maybe be relevant to connecting the message to. The first one would be, so if you're here and you don't know God and you want to, it's an opportunity to do that. If you're here and you do know him and you want to strengthen 
that place of intimacy, it's an opportunity to do that. So I thought I would just come to the end of it and I would just pray and offer you the opportunity. If you need to find God, you could find him. And if you need to strengthen that place of intimacy with him, you could strengthen it. So I thought the best place for us to do at all of our campuses would just be to pray right now. So would you pray with me? Father, we do just come before you and in openness and in honesty, I recognize at our campuses this weekend are probably going to be all three of the people that I mentioned. They're going to be believers here, seekers and skeptics. Look, if you're here as a skeptic, maybe you hear something today that draws your heart to God. That's not me, and that's not a message. That's God himself trying to appeal to you. It's not religion that I'm trying to offer you or a church experience, but it really is a relationship. That's really what it's about, a relationship. And that's what God would offer you today. Maybe you have a lot of questions about stuff, but if you can look beyond all of that and see a God who offers friendship and who offers mercy and who offers life, then the opportunity to say yes to that is here. And I would just ask real quickly right now, not to embarrass you, I won't make you stand up and I won't point you out, but I do want to pray for you. And this is good at all of our services right now. If you're here today, and you need a relationship with God. You say, Pastor, I really would like a relationship with him. I need his mercy, and if he really does offer his friendship, I want that. And if he really is a shepherd, I need that. And if God is forgiving like he was to David, I want that. And I'd like you to remember me when you pray today. If that's you, you just say, Pastor, pray for me. Just raise your hand right now. Any of our campuses? Sure, I see you. Yep, yep, yep. There's several of you. Anybody else? Just, yeah, I see you. You have to keep them up there, but just want to, yeah, and all of our campuses right now. It's a Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock Campus, Lakewood, and here at Lone Tree. Yep, we see all of you guys. If you're just listening live stream, it's a chance you can say yes to, and if you listen, maybe it's not even live, but it's weeks later. If you want to say yes to God, it's one of those things that goes through space and time. The second one just simply is, if you just say, Pastor, I do believe, I just want to strengthen that place of intimacy with God. Maybe you're going through a difficult place or coming out of one, and maybe Psalms 23 has a new meaning for you all of a sudden. And you just say, Pastor, remember me in your prayers, because I identify with that place right there. I want you to raise your hand too. Just say, Pastor, pray for me. Sure, yeah, any of our campuses. Any of them right now. Yeah, it's many of us. All right, so Father, as we just get open and honest before you, there are many people that respond to those two issues in life right now. God, if they're looking for a relationship with you, there's not a right and wrong way. There's not a formula to pray for. It's just simply asking, God, be merciful to me and remember me right now and help me. I'm not asking you to get religion. I'm not asking you to join church. But if you just say, pastor, that's what I need in my life, then those words are what God's going to listen to. So what would you say to God? Help me. Be merciful to me. I need your friendship. Be a shepherd to me.
If you've prayed that prayer, but as a believer, you're just at that place in life where you're like, I need that intimacy strengthened in me, what would you say? You would say those real words, God, pull me into intimacy. If it really is true that the Lord is my shepherd, so I have all that I need, then introduce me to what David knew. Bring me to that place where I'm not trying to get stuff or gain stuff, but I'm going after you. Because if you have him, you get all the stuff. Father, if that's where people are at and that's what they're asking for, then be merciful to them right now and draw them into that relationship with you. However and wherever they are when they hear this, do what only you can do and draw them into a place of wholeness with you. God, thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for caring for us and for being with us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we just honor you right now with this. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet as our worship pastors come and close out our service. We'll give you the option of communion, using our crosses, our altars for prayer, just worshiping God in your seat. If you prayed the initial prayer to find God, on your way out of here, you're going to find people standing with an envelope by the exits at our doors, all of our campuses. Grab that information. It's just how to have a relationship with God. There's nothing that's strange about it, and you'll need the information. We offer it to you for free. There's no way that we can come give it to you because nobody was sitting here trying to put pressure on you. But if you meant your prayer, stop on the way out and grab that. It'll be very beneficial to you.